Thanks so much for joining us for The Field from KAWC. I'm Lisa Sturgis. We're back after a brief hiatus, and while we were away, Arizona lawmakers got back to the business of running the state. Fortunately, our friend Howard Fisher has been keeping an eye on things, and he'll join us to bring us up to speed. Plus, Congressman Ruben Gallego tells us why he's decided to challenge Senator Kirsten Cinema. That's not the problem. The problem is she abandoned Arizona. And Yolanda Bejarano rises from humble roots and role to the chair of Arizona's Democratic Party. She's here to share her story and her priorities moving forward. The 56th Arizona State Legislative Session has been underway for almost a month, and it appears a few battles might be brewing, among them Governor Katie Hobbs' $17 billion budget. We checked in with Capital Media Services' Howard Fisher for details on the spending plan and Republicans' reaction to it, plus other noteworthy news from the state capitol. It looks like we're headed towards... Uh, a little bit of a battle over the state budget. January 13th, Governor Katie Hobbs unveiled her $17 billion spending plan. Can we call it a Democratic dream budget with all like her wish lists, lots of increases to education? This is not greeted warmly by Republican lawmakers. Oh, I think that's putting it mildly. I think it was pronounced dead on arrival by Republican legislative leaders. Whether you call it a Democratic dream or not, hard to say. Now, remember, this is the first time we've had a Democratic governor since the 2008 legislative session because Janet Napolitano left at the beginning of 2009 to take a job in the Obama administration. Since that time, we've had Republican governors, and of course, all along, we've had Republican legislators, and they have put out their policies, which includes you know, the flat income tax, uh, business tax reductions in particular, less regulation. Elections have consequences, and for whatever reason, people elected Katie Hobbs, the governor, even though they, they left the Republicans in control. And she said, okay, I get to propose a budget. So I've got the $17.1 billion spending plan. Uh, there's things like tax, new tax credits for low-income parents, uh, new money to, to deal with the housing crisis that, that triggered more homelessness. Um, but she also goes ahead and goes after some of the, the – priorities of, of her predecessor, Governor Ducey, including, one, the expansion of vouchers for universal uh, use, so any student can get a voucher of state money to attend a private parochial school. She wants to roll it back to a narrower program for students with special needs. And then the other thing she targeted is this state police's border strike force, saying what it's done is it's put a bunch of, of DPS officers out there chasing certain things as opposed to being on the road and doing the job they're supposed to do. What they did this week is they put out their own skinny budget. Now, remember that them putting out a, a skinny budget does not mean this is their final plan. The idea, and there's some merit to it, is if, in fact, we get to a point where we get to June 30 at the end of the fiscal year and we don't have a budget, this isn't like Congress. Congress can pass what they call a continuing resolution to keep the government open. In Arizona, if we reach a new fiscal year without a budget, much of it will shut down except for emergency services. And even then, the, the legality of doing that without a budget is, is less than clear. So what the 
Republicans are saying is we will enact a continuing budget. Essentially, we take the money we which which here for infant just for grow 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 number of students students student, number of people 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 the state 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 program. Add in 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 hundred million dollar dollar dollars because they want to want to want to do this. Been pending 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 seen seen seen. They're looking at looking at bear bear burbs necessary in Indians. Necessary, necessary, necessary. Now, that doesn't mean doesn't mean doesn't mean more. For example, Sam, Sam, every has a little wit, wit, wit. I need money, money, money. On about this, this, this. Uh, that is in there, in there, in there. Uh, fire, fire, fire for funding, but for, 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 uh, 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 changes, changes, changes that might have it, have it, have implications of inkle behind, 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 and so we know, we know, we not be, 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 be to do is create. Uh, a situation where both Hobbs and the lawmakers need to negotiate. Look, neither side is going to get exactly what 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 they want. And Hobbs the has said is this the, is just a starting point for her. Well, she says it's a starting point, and she says I'm willing to negotiate. Of course, Representative David Livingston, who heads the House Approach Committee, said, "Gee, funny, the door seems locked on the inside to me." Um, you know what negotiation means? Uh, you know, maybe in the eye of the beholder. Uh, you know, then sometimes it's my staff will call your staff or something like that. But they are going to need to talk uh, because of the fact that there is no way this legislature, this Republican-controlled legislature, will adopt her budget, and there is no way she's going to sign their budget. That's she's right, because she's already veto stamp. Yeah, she's already vowed to veto that. Yeah, she says the veto stamp was warmed up actually by Janet Napolitano. A little little known fact is. She has Jan Napolitano's old veto stamp. One of Napolitano's staffers, who now does some work for her, gave, gifted it to her and said, use it wisely. Now, there's also a measure that looks to shield legislators' addresses. Oh, yes. This is an interesting question because, on one hand, you can make the argument that lawmakers are public servants, and we should know where they live. Um uh, you know, A, to know do they really live in the community that they want to represent, and B, you know, maybe you should be able to call them at home or something like that. Uh, obviously, this, this occurs much more on a local level. People know who their school board members are and their, probably their city councilmen and county supervisors. The issue with the legislature has gotten a little hinkier, mainly because of what's happened in the past two elections. There's been a lot of, of, of hate going around. You've had county supervisors had to be placed in protective custody by the sheriff because of the fact they've gotten threats. Uh, you have lawmakers who say they have people coming to their houses, screaming at them, leaving threatening notes. And they say it's one thing, you know, as a lawmaker, you've signed up for that. But did your spouse sign up for that? Did your children sign up for that? So the legislation that is going now to the full Senate after it got out of committee today says that Lawmakers are entitled to the same protection we offer right now, for example, for judges and prosecutors and people who work at the Department of Corrections. You can have your information sealed in county records. For example, you know, right now, if you want to look up where I live, you can go to the Maricopa County Recorder's Office and you can look up any deeds in my property. You can look up uh, my voting record uh, as far as where I'm registered to vote. Uh, you can look up at the treasurer's office in terms of taxes I paid, all of which will give you, you know, not just my name, but my address. Some of them may give you my phone number. This would say if you're a lawmaker and you want to, because there's an opt-in, you could get on that same 
you know, variation of a do not bother me list and have all of that information sealed off from your constituents. If they want to get a hold of you, they're supposed to call your office. Howard Fisher, Capital Media Services. Thanks so much for keeping us up to speed on what's going on in the legislature. Well, you're welcome, and there'll be much more coming because I think the odds of it getting out of here much before June are not very good. And as always, if you want to see more of Howard's reporting, you can just go to kawc.org. Some lawmakers are also eyeballing the state's minimum wage. We'll see how that measure fares should it clear both chambers. As Howard just told us, it appears Governor Hobbs will have her veto stamp handy. Stay tuned. For some, it may feel like the midterm elections have barely hit the history books. But Ruben Gallego is already focused on 2024. Congressman Gallego announced last month he's running for the U.S. Senate and hopes to unseat Senator Kirsten Sinema. Gallego is a Harvard graduate and a U.S. Marine Corps combat veteran. He's served Phoenix area districts during both his time in the U.S. House of Representatives and while serving in the Arizona State House but tells us he has the heart of someone from more rural areas. We also discussed what compelled him to enter the race so early. There had been some rumors to the effect that you had been wanting to challenge her for a while. Was her decision to register as an independent, did that have any impact on your decision to run? No, not really. Uh, my decision to run was really based on you know what I feel that she had not been doing, you know, really representing Arizonans, really wor- representing working-class people, uh, and fighting for them, and also just the lack of communication from her, like her her inability to have town halls, the the fact that she doesn't really venture out outside of Maricopa County, uh, all those things really, you know, at the end of the day, uh, are what really propel me to run. But I do have to say, she makes it down here to Yuma fairly regularly, so she. Well, ha- I'm glad that she has she has had some opportunities <laughs> to talk to some people. But we, we know for a fact that she hasn't had one town hall, one open conversation with, with Arizona citizens for quite a while. And we want to make sure that people have a transparent uh, and open line of communication to their, their senator. Uh, it's representative government, and you have to uh, you know, be, be there and, and be your, hold yourself accountable uh, to the voters. One of the criticisms that she has suffered since she was elected to the Senate is that she got there and she seemed to have abandoned the party agenda. Is that something that you feel or that you've heard from Democratic voters as well? That's not the problem. The problem is she abandoned Arizona. Uh, you know, party politics is party politics. What happens is that she goes to Arizona and she fought for pharmaceutical companies to keep their prices high instead of for uh, Arizona seniors to actually have, you know, uh, cheaper and, and safe uh, drug prices. You know, she did, went and worked for, uh, you know, to keep uh, hedge fund managers and private equity managers, uh, their tax cuts, uh, something that no one in Arizona asked. And yet she does all these things while at the same time, you know, refusing to answer her to the citizens, right? Like, why are you doing this? Why are you lobbying for pharmaceuticals? They have enough lobbyists over here. Uh, in Washington, D.C. They don't need a, a one paid for by the Arizona taxpayer. One of the things that I hear here in Yuma County um, a lot, although it, is, it does seem to be changing, is that Arizona's rural counties don't get as much attention as they might deserve. How would you intend to uh, bring your message on the benefits of a Gallego Senate 
seat to the people of Yuma County? Well, I don't think uh, people are wrong that uh, the rural Arizona has been ignored uh, by, uh, you know, a lot of the politicians in Maricopa County. For me, you know, I come from a rural background. I was lucky enough to uh, not be born on a ranch, but raised on a ranch in Mexico for for many years. I I have, you know, still the sentimental feelings uh, for that. But I also recognize that, you know, rural Arizona is a driver in our economy. Uh, and we need to make sure that we continue to give uh, rollers on the attention it has. And I have done that uh, also in my position, for example, on the Natural Resources Committee, making sure that we're bringing broadband to rural areas of the country so people can actually stay uh, where they uh, grew up and actually have a career. And also to help uh, make sure that people that want to get themselves educated don't have to travel for hours and hours to do that. These are the type of things that we need to continue doing investment in. Uh, and I'm very happy uh, to be able to do that. There was an op-ed in the Arizona Republic earlier this week that's, that questioned whether you were too progressive for Arizona right now. How would you respond to that? These are the same questions they've been saying about every Democrat that's run statewide and won since 2018, 2020, 2022. Uh, and at the end of the day, that's just you know political talk. People care about uh, the, the person they're voting for. Do they trust them? Do they know them? Are they going to work hard for them? Uh, and at the end of the day, when people understand my background, the fact that I, you know, grew up poor, worked my way through college, worked my, you know, worked the jobs that a lot of people work uh, in in the Yuma area. You know, I was a line cook. I worked at a meat packing factory. I've done the, the jobs that a lot of Americans do just to survive. And I'm going to take that experience uh, and you know everything that went with it uh, to the Senate to fight for people uh, that really need someone fighting for them. It wasn't. It hasn't been that long since you were here visiting um, Yuma South County, which is definitely a stronghold of Democratic support for Yuma County. How familiar are you with the issues facing that particular part of Yuma County? Well, I'm visited also also Yuma City itself, just to be clear. And you know, I think I'm uh, particularly familiar, but also it's important to uh, you know keep your ears open. Uh, it's not always the responsibility for hey. Uh, politician to to talk, so I will gladly keep keep going back and listen to um, a lot of the leaders down there who tell me what they're feeling uh, and and what they need. But it was a very good uh, meeting, uh, one of many that we're going to have, and uh, we'll gladly be back. Raul Grijalva has represented Yuma South County for like more than twenty years now, and you recently picked up a, an endorsement from um, Congressman Grijalva. Yep, and I did. Uh, we're very excited about his endorsement. We have a lot of other endorsements that are be coming in from left to right, up and down. Uh, you know, this is a statewide race, and we're going to be seeking the support of lots of uh, Arizonans. Speaking of support, I'm told that you've had um, some nice early fundraising. We did. We're very, very blessed uh, that people have shown wanted to show support uh, to us. We have more than 37,000 individual donations for something around $1.3 million or, or more. So, um you know, we're going to continue obviously working. We want to have that, that financial support because that's what actually helps us get out and talk to the community uh, and, you know, on a daily basis so we can really communicate our, our values uh, uh, to the voters. There's talk that Carrie Lake is considering getting in the race for the Republicans. How would you feel about facing Carrie Lake in an election? I'd feel great, but I feel that about, uh, great about facing anybody in the election. Uh, look, we have the campaign uh, to win this race, but more importantly, we're the ones that can connect with voters. Arizonans uh, want someone that actually understands their daily struggles and their aspirations. They want someone that actually believes in the American dream, 
understands it's hard to get it, but wants someone that's willing to protect it and give them their opportunity. And we know that uh, when we talk to people, that's going to be our message and that that's going to be the winning message. And I don't think Carrie Lake or anyone else can deliver that same message. I think that's a good place to call it. Congressman Ruben Gallego, thank you so much for your time. We look forward to seeing who else will enter the Senate race as we move towards 2024 and to having conversations with them. Arizona's major political parties are already gearing up for that election as well. They now have new leadership steering them towards that fateful day in November. A conversation with the Democratic chair when the field from KAWC continues. We'll be right back. Funding for The Field comes from listeners just like you who support KAWC News. It's individual and community support that makes civil conversations, local analysis, and trusted news on this podcast possible. That's why we're counting on your charitable gift right now. It takes all of us to ensure the things we care about continue to thrive. So please take just a moment to donate to KAWC so we have the solid resources needed to keep this podcast going. Visit kawc.org donate to give today. And thanks. Thanks so much for listening to The Field from KAWC. Leadership in Arizona's two main political parties changed last weekend during a pair of elections in Phoenix that saw the departure of the often controversial head of the state GOP. Six candidates vied to replace Kelly Ward. Jeff DeWitt emerged victorious in a landslide vote. DeWitt previously worked as the chief operating officer for former President Donald Trump's campaign. Following his win, he promised to bring similar success to Arizona's political candidates. I am so honored and humbled by the trust you place in me, and I will not misplace that trust. I'm going to work for you, and we're going to unify, and we're going to get back to beating Democrats and winning elections. And thank you, thank you very much. Democratic committee members, too, came together Saturday to decide who will succeed State Senator Raquel Turan, who's serving as minority leader this session. Yolanda Bajarano and Steve Gallardo had similar agendas but differing experiences. Bajarano brings two decades of experience with grassroots political and union organization to the table, and ultimately that earned her the chair. We spoke to Beth Rano about the chairmanship and her rise through the political ranks from her rural beginnings in eastern Yuma County. That's her role. I know. So how does one go from role <laughs> to running for the chairman of the Democratic Party? People, you know, people ask me, how, like, how is this possible that you're from role? It's, it's pretty red. Um, my dad was a farm worker. My mom was a homemaker. And, uh, you know, my dad believed in, in public education and making, you know, making sure that we all went to school and, um, believed that our way out of poverty was through, through, um, public education. So when he, you know, when, when I turned 18, I, I came to ASU and, um, and then my, my father died and, um, we had to bring my mom up to, to, um, to Tempe. And I 
had to get a, a real job. So I found a job at a call center. And, um, and in that call center, there was a union and um, there was a manager that was, uh, you know, mistreating an employee. And I stood up and I said, don't talk to that person that way. And somebody said, well, you should be a union steward. I said, what, what is that? I don't even know what that is. So I became a steward and at the call center helping um, workers. And, um, and then in, uh, in 2010, SB 1070 happened and I um, started getting more involved in, um, in, you know, I started volunteering my time and helping uh, people get elected to, to office, uh, people that I thought shared the same values. Like I could not believe that it would be okay to pull somebody over based on the color of their skin. So I started getting more involved and then it just, kind of snowballed from there I kept um, in, within the union I was getting promoted and I started doing trainings and leading all the trainings and um, 2017 I got a full-time job with the union and and that's what I've been doing just organizing and, and helping our members um, help elect you know democratic candidates to office and um, in 2021 I got elected I'm, I'm sorry I was promoted to be the, the field director do you think that we're seeing that the unions are are seeing a, a kind of a resurgence under Joe Biden since he is such a he has a history of being a labor advocate? Yeah, I think so. I think you know there was a, a, a some polling done over seventy percent of people believe that unions are needed. People need a voice at, uh, in the workplace for better working conditions for safety issues. We saw, uh, uh, you know, I think a resurgence during COVID when, um, you know, people felt that they were left to their own uh, devices to survive. So I think people understand the, the need for a union to, to really uh, better their working conditions. It was a very good election for the Arizona Democratic Party. But the Democrats still don't enjoy a majority in the state legislature. What priorities are, would you push for as the party chair as the legislative session gets underway? Well, that's just it. You know, we need to make flipping the, the state house and state state senator priority from day one. And that means recruiting candidates across the state. And uh, that means uh, grassroots mobilization and organizing that we've seen time and time again be so effective. Um, so we need to work to find and identify and support candidates across the state so that Arizonans can see how much they stand to gain with, with Democrats in office. And, and, you know, we need to raise the money. They need to get their message out. And I feel uniquely suited for that role. But um, it's, I, it's, I believe it's inevitable. I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm from rural. Uh, we lost a, a state uh, house seat that I, I feel um, we can definitely uh, pick up again. And, but we need to do the, the real work of organizing in, um, in places that um, sometimes we, we don't, like rural areas, like rural, for example. It Beautiful. is a very interesting time for the Democratic Party in Arizona. It is. It is. Is it an opportunity? It is absolutely an opportunity, yes. And, you know, we, we need to... Um, capitalize on that opportunity. We need to flip the state legislature. We need to um, capture our, our two congressional seats that turned out to be very competitive, that we came very close um, to, to winning. And, and also, you know, uh, Donald Trump announced that he's running for president again, and his path to victory runs straight through Arizona. So uh, we need to, um, you know, 
put in the work to make sure uh, that we stop them. Real quick, I just want to touch base with you about what's happening on Capitol Hill right now. Paul Gosar has seemed impenetrable in northern Yuma County for decades. Can anybody vie against Paul Gosar in northern, northern Yuma County? I think so. I think when we get our, our democratic message out and our democratic values out that we're, we're all about lowering costs for Arizonans, that we're about, you know, making sure that um, prescription drug prices are affordable for, for folks and making sure that people are not living in, in poverty, that children don't go to, to bed hungry. I think when we share the, that message versus, um, you know, the, the Republican message of tax cuts for corporations, tax cuts for the rich, I think when you talk to people about that and you share it, it resonates. And I think we, we need to just go out there and talk to folks, really have those conversations and organize and get them to, to understand that how much better they're off when, uh, you know, how much they stand to gain when Democrats are in office. So I think it is possible. That was Yolanda Bajarano, role native and newly elected chair of the Arizona Democratic Party. We have also reached out to the Arizona Republican Party to invite their new chair on the show for a conversation. We haven't heard back, but we do look forward to talking to Jeff DeWitt in the near future. Next week on The Field from KAWC, Yuma County Attorney John Smith tells us about an organization that assists prosecutors and victims at the same time. Plus, Arizona is seeing an exodus of election officials. We talked to Secretary of State Adrian Fontes about the cause and how his office is responding. And, of course, Howard Fisher will be here with our weekly dose of news from the state capitol. Field is a production of KAWC, Colorado River Public Media. Send your questions or comments to me, lisa.sturgis at kawc.org. Our theme music was composed by Steve Hennig and performed by members of the Yuma Jazz Company. For more information, visit yumajazz.com. Thanks for listening to The Field from KAWC. Remember, you can always hear the show at kawc.org, on the KAWC app, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Lisa Sturgis. I hope to see you back here next week. Till then, keep yourself informed.